0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Lansman and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that there will be a blessing to you and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. So we have been working our way through the Apostles' Creed. Last week we talked about Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father and then we talked about him Returning to judge the living and the dead. And so we talked about how when we speak of Jesus being seated, it's not like he was in a recliner because he was really tired after all of the, the stuff that he did on earth. He had to go back up to heaven just so he could get away from everybody for a little while and rest. Now, this idea of him seated is he's, his work isn't done. He's seated in the place of authority, ruling and reigning over all things, that he is our high priest in heaven who is even now still interceding for us. So we talked about how when Jesus is interceding for us, he's not interceding us for us in the way that God is waiting to strike us down with something, and Jesus is like grabbing onto his arm saying, no, no, it's okay, it's okay, they believe me, they trust in me, calm down, calm down. But he's making the way so we can come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy in time of our need. And then we talked about what it it means that Jesus is returning to judge the living and the dead. We talked about how we don't like that word, a judge. We don't like the idea in our culture that we are responsible for our actions. We don't like this idea that... What we do has consequences, and so when we say Jesus is coming to judge, we are saying that, that everything that happens throughout, to each and every one of us throughout of our lives, we will ultimately stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but for us, it's not in fear. We have a comfort, and we have hope in that because we are Christ. We belong to him, and so for us, that is not a moment of, of fear, but that is a moment of joy and comfort. We also talked about how it's important to, to note that Jesus is coming back to judge because that means all of those who have worked evil, all of those who have committed the most heinous acts of violence, uh, of, of, of whatever crime you can think of against their fellow human being, even if they got away with it here on earth, that doesn't mean that one day that they will get away with it in front of God, that every wicked act that goes unnoticed, that goes unpunished by civil authorities will be dealt with at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's a comfort for us because it helps us, brothers and sisters, to begin to answer the question of if God is good, then why is there evil? It helps us, at least it gets our foot in the door to answering that question or providing some comfort and some hope for that question is that those who have done those works of evil will one day give account to it before the Lord. So now we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. So this is the part of the creed we've run through what we mean when we confess God the Father. We've now completed the part of the, the Apostles' Creed which talks about what we confess Jesus as the Son. Now we move into the part of the Creed where we affirm our faith in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk today about the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we have to remember, or, and I've said this during Pentecost, so I'm not going to spend time on this, is that we're not talking about the force or an impersonal kind of energy field, right? That's just kind of out there. And unfortunately, that's a way that the Holy Spirit kind of gets referred to but, or, or uses an example of, but that's not what the Holy Spirit is. We're speaking of a person, the third person of the Holy Trinity. The Holy Spirit is, is, is God, is God. So please forgive me for what I'm about to do, but when I was a kid, well, not a kid, when I was an older teenager growing up, there was this, this band called DC Talk. And some of you might know this band, some of you may not be like, I don't know what those whippersnappers are listening to with their Dan Vogelberg and their rock and roll and their Elvis Presley. No, when I was growing up, there was a band called DC Talk and they had this one song and the lyrics said, can you catch the wind? Can you see the breeze? Its presence is revealed by the leaves on the trees, an image of my faith in the unseen. And I thought about this this lyric this week as I was preparing this, because unlike Jesus, we don't see with our eyes, right? We don't see the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus became flesh. He walked among his people. People saw him, right? He had a physical appearance. He uh, had, I don't know, maybe a beard, a mustache, probably. But people saw him, they interacted with him, here in on the earth, but with the Holy Spirit, we don't have that same type of interaction. The Holy Spirit, I guess we could put, when I'm putting air quotes here, is invisible. However, the Holy Spirit, though invisible, is visible in certain ways, and we're going to talk about the ways in which the Spirit is visible and why this is important in a few minutes. About a hundred years ago, the Pentecostal movement came on the scene in American Christianity. And a few decades later, what was called the Charismatic Renewal began to show up at different churches across denominations. Now, the, these movements, and this is one of the movements that I grew up in. Uh, I grew up in the Pentecostal movement when I was, when I was a young child, up until probably my, my teens, and then I went to the Charismatic Renewal movements until my, maybe my mid-20s. And one of the things that was good about that experience was is that Pentecostals and the charismatic renewal people reminded us of something very important, that the Holy Spirit is still here after Pentecost after Pentecost fell. Remember on Pentecost Sunday, we read the passage of Scripture where the Holy Spirit descended and there were tongues of fire and people were speaking in languages that they didn't know. People heard them talking about the glorious works of God, what Jesus had done for them in their own languages. Jews from all across the empire were in Jerusalem and heard this and they, and the disciples and the apostles they experienced this, this miracle. But once that happened, the Holy Spirit didn't just go, okay, I'm done, I'll see you all later and just go back up into heaven and just leave everybody. Now, remember, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and the Father will send you the Comforter. And Jesus says, in fact, it's better for you if I go, because if I go, then the Father will send you the Holy Spirit. And so this, the great truth that the Pentecostals and the charismatic people reminded us of is that sometimes in Christianity, we become so theologically dense We have to have all of our T's crossed, all of our I's dotted about every single item of belief. Sometimes we forget that it's not just about knowing the right things, but it's about the experience of God, right? Our faith has mental and rational components to it, right? But our faith is also primarily relational, anglican theologian michael bird said the holy spirit reminds us that we are not studying divine ideas but we are encountering divine persons so when we affirm belief in the holy spirit and the apostles creed we're saying that god still moves among his people that god still empowers his people and that god is still renewing and regenerating the hearts of sinful humanity and sidebar for a moment. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit, Jesus, at the woman at the well, talked about springs of living water you know, coming, coming up. And then in the, in the reading that we heard from James, he talked about how can both blessing and cursing come from the, same, from the same mouth. And so the same Holy Spirit that lives in us, that's regenerating us, is also the one that helps us, that forms and shapes and molds our hearts so our mouths that bless God don't turn into mouths that curse our brothers and sisters. There's a story in the book of Numbers about the Holy Spirit that I'm going to read briefly. It's Numbers 11, and it says this, "'The Lord said to Moses, "'Gather for me 70 men of the elders, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. "'Bring them to the tent, and let them take their stand there with you. "'I will come down. I will talk to you. I will take some of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. "'They shall bear the burden of the people with you, so you may not bear it alone.'" So Moses, he went out and does it, right? And it says, The Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. A young man ran out and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, said, Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Listen to this. Would that all of the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. All right, so what we see in the book of Acts and throughout the book of Acts is the understanding of what Moses is wishing for has finally happened. When we talk about the Holy Spirit being here, what Moses has asked for has come to pass. This is tied in with the prophet Joel's words about the Holy Spirit being poured out, poured out upon all flesh fulfilled at Pentecost. What's noteworthy here in this story is that the Spirit of God is poured on the 70 elders. God takes from the Spirit that he had given to Moses, right? When we remember the story of Moses, God sent Moses out with a task. God gave him the ability to perform what he had asked him to do. Talked about it a little bit this morning at Sunday school, that when God calls you to do something, he gives you the ability to do so, and that ability is given to us through the Holy Spirit. So, what happens is God takes the sum of the Holy Spirit that he had given to Moses and he puts it on the 70 other people. And then they all have this experience of prophesying. So Moses says, I wish the Lord would put his spirit on everyone, not just a select few. All right? So let's think back a little bit more. Well, from Moses' forward, I guess. To so Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River. So, when Jesus is being, sanct- is being baptized, he's sanctifying the waters for who all, who all will be baptized. And the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And before Jesus ascends to heaven, what happens? He tells the disciples, go and wait for the promise of the Spirit, right? And they do. So, just like God taking the Spirit that was upon Moses and distributing it to the 70 elders... Right? Jesus, according to John's gospel, asks the Father to send the Spirit that was also upon him. So the same way that the Spirit rested on Christ, the Spirit is then sent to his people. But unlike in the Old Testament, where the Spirit of God is resting upon the 70 elders, and the Spirit is resting upon Moses, the Spirit is doing something a little different. It's a continuation, but it's a little different because the Spirit is no longer just coming upon people in Scripture. The Spirit actually comes within them, inside them. Romans 8, 11 says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, this is the part I want you to hear, dwells in you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He says it twice in that verse because it's important. When you read scripture and we hear things repeated over and over and over again, that means that that idea is important and you need to take note. Repetition means this is important. Paul says here, the spirit of God dwells in you. The spirit being within us not only has an individual impact on our lives, but also a corporate impact, right, as we gather. We'll cover that a little bit more next week when we speak about the church being Catholic and about the forgiveness of sins. Excuse me. But the reason why this is important about the Spirit of God being inside, it means that we have been made new. The spirit inside us, within us, means that he has gifted every one of us with a particular gift of grace that we all exercise together for the good of everyone. So for some people, this gift is hospitality. Have you ever met a person who you, you interact with them, and they invite you to their house, and when you get there, it's like the best time ever. The conversation is great, the food is great, and you feel like you don't want to leave. That's possibly the gift that person has given by God of hospitality. Some people don't have a gift of hospitality. That doesn't mean that you still can't be hospitable, but that's a special gift of the Holy Spirit. Some people have a gift of teaching and preaching. Some people are much better at it than others. Some people, that is their gift. That doesn't mean that other people can't preach or teach, but that means that the Spirit has gifted that particular person with that gift. And this gift is when we all find out what those gifts are. We exercise all of those gifts together for the good of everyone. So the Spirit gives to each and every believer a gift. And he helps us together as the body of Christ to continue the ministry that Jesus entrusted to his followers at his ascension. Because that's why we're here. That's why we're gathered. Is We're continuing the ministry of Jesus as his body in the earth. So I mentioned earlier ways we see the invisible spirit. So part of the way we see the spirit is at the Lord's table. In John 16, 14, Jesus says, He, the spirit, will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So when we come to the table, we pray. And we ask the Holy Spirit to consecrate the bread and the wine, believing that somehow through our prayer and our faith, that the benefits of the death and resurrection of Jesus are being given to us as a gift of grace. Another way we see the invisible spirit at work is the way we exercise the grace gifts he is giving to us. So when I stand here preaching and teaching and administering the sacraments, the work of the spirit is made visible. When you share your goods with those in need, the work of the spirit is made visible. When you show the love of God to someone who has no experience of God's love, the work of the spirit is made visible. I'll take that amen, Hadley. Thank you. When you pray for someone, the work of the Spirit is made visible. The Christian life with all of its ups and downs is a continual testimony to the work of the Holy Spirit because it is the Spirit that regenerates our hearts. It is the Spirit who seals us for the resurrection. It is the Holy Spirit who helps us remember what Jesus taught. It is the Holy Spirit who gives life to those who do not have it. It is the Holy Spirit who prays for us when we do not know what to pray for. Do you realize that the Spirit who lives within us when we don't know what to pray for prays within us? It is the Spirit who leads us and guides us into truth. And like Pilate asks, what is truth? We can answer with the words of Jesus to his disciples earlier when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us also boldness to testify to what Jesus has done for us. And it is the Spirit that bears witness that we are God's children that we share in Christ, that we have received Christ, and that we belong to him, that we have been reconciled to God. Lastly, in our culture today, it's popular to hear people speak of being spiritual but not religious. This is a very popular way of speaking. I have many friends who identify this way. I don't believe in organized religion. I don't believe in a higher power, but I kind of believe that there's maybe something there behind the scenes. And in a way, I think it's kind of nowadays more countercultural to actually submit oneself to the teaching of a church that says this is what being spiritual actually is, but I digress. But being spiritual but not religious, it's not even necessarily a bad thing because it highlights that no matter how divorced from Christianity people have become, they still feel the need to worship or to partake of some practice that connects them with something transcendent. And so, brothers and sisters, as Christians, we have been given the Holy Spirit. We know what it truly means to be spiritual. That the Spirit that rested upon Jesus now lives inside of us, His followers. That's what being spiritual is. Being spiritual is the experience of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be spiritual not sampling spiritual practices from other religions and choosing the ones that you like and the ones that you don't like. True spirituality is found in Jesus Christ through the power and the uniting work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. There can be no true spirituality apart from the Holy Spirit, only striving and beating the year. Because, brothers and sisters, It says that the Holy Spirit has been shed in our hearts, shed abroad in our hearts. Scripture also says that the Holy Spirit enables us to even call God Abba or Father because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And everything the Holy Spirit does, says, and works for is the exaltation of Jesus Christ through the ongoing work of his body, the church. That's you and that's me. That's everybody gathered here, and all of our brothers and sisters gathered together for Christian worship across the state, across this land, in our conference, outside of our conference. We are all working to exalt Jesus Christ, and we are all empowered to do so through the work of His Holy Spirit. In the other church, one of the great teachers, St. Basil the Great, said this, Souls in which the Spirit dwells, illuminated by the Spirit, themselves become spiritual and send forth, send forth their grace to others. So our souls, we have been illuminated by the Spirit, brothers and sisters. When we have received Christ, we have been made new. We have been illuminated by the Spirit. It's like someone took a light inside of us and clicked the switch, and the light came on inside of us. Our inside, We have been illuminated by the Spirit. That makes us Spiritual. And then that then helps us to the grace that we have been given, the grace that Christ has extended to us. We are then able to, to turn around and extend that grace to others and to invite them into relationship with Jesus Christ, to be reconciled to God, so they themselves can experience the same illumination and empowering and regenerating work that the Spirit does in our hearts. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and his all holy, good, and life creating spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us we may just be the church for you you can find us online Ucc.com you can find us on facebook as well zion the stone ucc i'm pastor mike landsman if you'd like to send me an email you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com once again thank you so much for joining us on the podcast may god bless you and we hope to have you